Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Terry Ale. Terry is an active investor and CEO of a private commercial real estate firm. His firm uses extensive commercial real estate expertise to create value by repositioning and stabilizing assets for long-term capital gains. Terry is also an author, a public speaker, and regarded as an authority in commercial real estate investing. And Terry actually has been featured on CBS Radio, CNBC, and several syndicated radio broadcast networks. And now today is on Breakaway from the Rat Race. So Terry, yes. welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so tell us more about your uh, your firm, your company, and um, kind of uh, what... What do you do exactly? I mean, I, I give a little bit about the uh, the introduction, but it's kind of like, you know, a little bit vague. Um, so how can, uh, what do you do exactly? Right, right. So Eric, um, my company, we've uh, we've been in business for over 25 years. Um, myself, uh, a little over 25. And what we focus on is these reposition type of properties. So properties that are suffering, properties that have vacancy, a lack of income approach, um, possible light rehab. And these properties are plentiful uh, in all market conditions. And we really hit the hit the nail on the head, identifying that there's either going to be problematic situations with the property itself, yeah. or there's a situation with the actual individual that owns it. So there's two sides, right? There's two sides to that. And so I opened up this firm um, years back to really identify opportunity. And there's a lot of speakers and coaches and mentors and these types of folks out there that they, they, they talk a good game and maybe they have this one kind of shtick that, you know, has a, has, has, is really appealing to people. Um, but not a lot of these people, I'm sure, as you know, Eric, are out there actually doing the business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Space, you know, so there's two parts to it. You know, maybe they're a one trick pony. They've done a couple of deals. But right here, our primary focus is acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, that's what I noticed as well. A lot of people that you follow on YouTube and stuff like that, they, they're very popular. They have a big following, but they don't actually do investment. <laughs> right. They're educators. I mean, right. some of the information they provide is, is good, but they're educators. They're not real estate investors. And um, so this is kind of like the difference. And you are a real estate investor. You have your own real estate um, uh, firm, obviously, that does that. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about, or tell us a little bit more about kind of like, what do you mean about kind of uh, repositioning? Because that's kind of the nice thing about, about commercial real estate compared to a single family home, a single family home. It's kind of a home. You can add some bedrooms, you can do some renovation, maybe add a second floor, turn it into a duplex maybe. Uh, but you're kind of limited in what you can do because of the zoning on the commercial side, I think it's uh, you have a lot more options. So can you give us some example of what you mean by repositioning? Yeah, so you're right. There is definitely much more uh, opportunity for commercial, both in actually improving the property uh, from its current condition or its current state. When I say repositioning, it's primary the, the actual occupancy level. We're focusing on properties because there's two different types of properties, right? So just to be transparent. You have asset class and you have liability class. And an asset class, as we know, is something that is an asset. The reason why it's an asset is because it's operating at its highest and best use. That's a property we typically never focus on is something that's already 100% full, 
Um, it's already renovated. It doesn't have any CapEx, which stands for capital expenditures in the future. Um, it's done to the nines and it's being sold at top dollar. Like those deals are all over LoopNet and CityFeet and Crexy and Argus and all the different websites for different property types, mobilehomeparkstore.com, all that stuff, right? Um, we're focused on a whole different positioning of property and hence the name repositioning is because we're taking it from its liability state, not the asset, but the liability state where it's really operating at very low occupancy levels. The rents haven't been raised in a long time. And again, problematic situation with these owners. We found that obviously we're in a baby boomer scenario where um, a lot of people are not just retiring, but unfortunately as part of life, they expire. And so when people leave, they inherit property. We've been seeing more and more of these inheritance properties. When somebody gets a windfall of capital, like they win the lottery, you see, we all have heard this. People get windfalls of money and what do they do? They go and spend it, right? That's what they want to do. Yeah. Somebody inherits a property. They don't want to say, oh, let me wrap my head around how I'm going to manage this thing yeah. and deal with tenants. You know, most people are like, you know, introvert, not extrovert. So they just want to take it, sell it, take the money and, and disperse it to something where they're comfortable doing, which is spending it or investing it. in, like you said, a house, right? So when you have a, a property that is repositioned, we get in there, we actually automate the process, we modernize the process, we bring in third-party marketing management collections, and we run it as a business, which is refreshing because most people, the mom and pops that are out there running these, um, we find that a lot of times they're just out of gas. Yeah. They're just tired. Yeah. You know, they're tired, especially with the self-storage too, Eric, because if they, they, you just imagine, you know, these people purchasing it um, on a track of dirt, maybe even doing some additional development, having a, an actual developer go, you know, do the grubbing and grading, lay the infrastructure, go vertical with, with these big boxes. They're sitting on a couple hundred, maybe two, 300 units self-storage. They're waking up every day, going in, sitting in front of that box, watching Judge Judy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just tired. They you know what I mean? They're just done. Yep. You know? And a lot of times what's crazy is these people, kind of the secret sauce is these people have owned these properties for so long that they've actually been paying principal and interest, and the principal has reduced the amount of debt. And then the property's not operating at its highest and best use. Maybe it's sitting at 70% economic occupancy. It's still covering the debt because the debt is so low because they owned it for so long. And all that additional 30% upside, when we reposition these, we can realize and capture all of that like built-in equity. Because yeah. then at that point, all we have to do is bring in the professionals that we hire, let them do what they do best. We focus on what we do best, which is locating these properties, pre-screening them, evaluating them, structuring them, negotiating them, closing them. And then doing it in the way where we actually build a business. Yeah. And every time we close one of these storage facilities or a multifamily or a mobile home park or big box warehouse, um, we're actually keeping it in its own independent operation, in its own business model. Yeah. So anybody that's interested in this, you can easily learn it and then go apply it. And I'm not here to insult anybody's intelligence and say that it's a push button process because it's not. It definitely takes some work and it takes the learning curve to understand it, but you can duplicate the process and yeah. anyone can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, the multifamily, we had some, uh, some apartment buildings in, in Memphis. We sold them now, but when we bought them, I mean, we bought them from 
a, a gentleman that was older and he was self-managing the, the property. It was like a 20 unit apartment building and, uh, or was it 16, 16 unit apartment building. And then he was just like, he was just kind of tired. He knew all, all the tenants and all of that kind of stuff because it was sure. the whole thing. And uh, he was doing like main, main, uh, basic repairs, like only what was necessary. And I can imagine that if you inherit something like that, right? And then you just look at it and you say, oh God, I have to, how much money do I have to put to fix it up? Yep. Like $300,000, $400,000 to fix it up. I don't have that money. Like what kind of, what kind of inheritance is this? Oh, I want to sell it. I want to get rid of it, right? So... So there's a, there's a lot of that going on. So anyway, this guy didn't pass away, but he also he didn't see, he was tired of it and he wanted to, um, he wanted to get rid of the problems having to deal with that. So he wanted to get his money out and then uh, move to a triple net investment. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, <clears throat> but the thing that was interesting is that he didn't see the value in the building. He didn't see any kind of value in adding um, and doing more renovation, bringing better curb appeal and you certainly didn't see that it was possible to increase the rent he's just like he said you can't raise the rent that's the first thing he told us when we walked the property so you can't raise the rent here it's just like you know this is just like uh, this is a maxed out there's like just blah 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 well good selling job <laughs> and we doubled we ended up doubling the rent um but pretty close to that like maybe uh you know 100 percent or close to 100 percent increase so so that was phenomenal. So, but that's the advantage. There are properties out there and, um, you know, but they're, to my knowledge, they're hard to find. So what are some of the tricks that you might share with us on finding these properties? I mean, we, they're hard to find on LoopNet. LoopNet, as you mentioned, they're pretty much done up uh, for the most part. But there are, where do you find these other properties uh, that, um, because for me, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding them. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, we find them, they're both on market and off market. There's plenty of properties that are on market and there's key identifiers that you can look for um, to help out with the with the journey of locating. Um, one of the things we look for always would be um, price reduction and also days on market. You know, your average broker has a listing that is, uh, you know, 100, 180 days, six months, right? And that six month listing, they put time, energy, money into marketing, getting the message out to the people. And they field hundreds of calls, you know, especially if they have it on, you know, on LoopNet, um, they're getting pinged uh, both by direct messaging and also, um, you know, by calling their offices. Yeah. So they're fielding all these calls. And what we find is that when it gets close to like that 180 day marker and you see that it's been on for over 100 days, um, they're, they're pretty much over it. They're ready to make a deal. Yeah. And, you know, probably... Several different offers have come in, lowball offers, you know, people that are fresh out of boot camps that are told to just make these lowball offers and they're out there. And, you know, these brokers, they have a judiciary duty to present offers. Yeah. So they present an offer and then the seller looks at it and says, well, this is way less than what I, what I originally discussed. And you gave me your, your broker's opinion of value. Yeah. Um, and this is less than what you gave me. Then the brokers now, they got egg on their face and they're starting to lose credibility to the seller. Yeah. So there's that motivation factor that starts occurring. Um, and uh, and that's that's a good key identifier for online. Finding deals offline, um, you know, you can purchase a list and smile and dial, no doubt. 
There's other platforms like Reonomy where you can get direct cell phone numbers to owners of commercial property. Um, you know, you can do direct mail campaigns as well, just like they do in the house buying business. But you know, the, the main the main goal here of finding these off-market deals is also just connecting with brokers and speaking for purpose and clarity and having it in a position where you know you know exactly what you're saying and how you can attract these uh, broker bird dogs that can get out there and present opportunity that um, perhaps uh, you know wasn't present. Well, the average person that gives a call on you know uh, multifamily or storage or whatever property type it happens to be, the average person that calls on that, if they stumble on the call, they're they're losing the whole approach of of being that authority figure, right? And especially if you get in there and just make a call and they feel like you're the competition because you know you're perhaps you know flapping your lips saying that you own other property. Mm-hmm. Um, they can feel like, oh, this is my competitor calling me trying to trying to get my property. And that could be a real instant no, where you have these brokers and, you know, the brokers out there making the connection and they hold a license. I mean, that's what they do is they list and sell property. So they definitely have a better lead in, I feel. And you can get a couple brokers on your side to find and the right properties in the right markets with the right situations. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's pretty much where the hidden deals are in commercial real estate. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, any kind of like uh, type of properties in particular that you're interested in commercial and you mentioned self storage, but on the multifamily side, any kind of like uh, size that you're looking for in the number of units, any kind of markets that are uh, better than others? Yeah. So there's, there's definitely, you know, um, a, a location and a net rentable square foot uh, design you're not going to want to go and look at something at 6,000 square feet. That makes no sense, right? That's just like a big house. Um, what you are going to want to look at is something typically that's over 20,000 net rentable square feet. It's got some meat on the bone. And a lot of these investors that want to buy these deals, their number one question is, is do you have anything that's over 20,000 net rentable square feet? Um, as far as like locations, any location that's trending, that's in a submarket outside of MSA, which is a metropolitan statistic area, um, is good, but you don't want to be out in the sticks or any any areas where you're looking at. They, anybody can look in an area and like if you're not familiar, like I'll just mention um, wherever Tyler, Texas, let's say, and you just go Tyler, Texas population. You could even just do pop pop. It'll pull up a little grid, and Google's yeah. smart enough to show you, you know, basically are there more U-hauls coming in the area or more U-hauls going out. Yeah. So anytime you see a declining population, it's going to be a tough deal to resell. Whether you wholesale it, wholesaling the paper, or you close it, reposition it, and sell it later, you know people want to buy deals, and that's it. They want a deal. Yeah, people are not out there. No matter what what transition, because we buy and sell here all the time. Yeah, and um, just for clarity for all the listeners, I do not have a actual license in this business. I have two licenses. Mm-hmm. I got a marriage license, and I got a driver's license, and that's <laughs> it. All right. Yeah. But there's there's that learning curve. And for folks that are going to stay on until the end of the call, what I want to do is I want to offer them some additional knowledge base outside of this uh, this short overview. Mm-hmm. Um, I authored this book, which is the two best strategies to profit with commercial real estate. And anyone who stays on to the end of the call, sell this, uh, not sell it, I'm going to give it to you for free. <laughs> 
and I'm going to uh, make sure that it's a deliverable, a digital deliverable. So all you have to do is email me and I'll give you that email at the, at the end of the, the call here. But I want to make sure I can put this in everybody's hands yeah. to do a service. And it is a service because it's sharing um, additional strategies. Yeah. So there are two strategies that I use, Eric. Um, we put the deal under contract once we understand that it's a deal, right? Yeah. And what makes it a deal is the fact that it has enough upside, right? I always say it's the juice worth the squeeze, right? Yeah. And some of these deals are just maxed out and there's not a lot of money. In them. Yeah. I'm typically not going to touch a project unless I can make a minimum of 100000 on it. Yeah. And then the way I make that money is I take the property, put it under contract, show the value in it, and then what we'll do is we'll go ahead and, and wholesale it, basically. Okay. And we don't use the term wholesaling because that's kind of like a dirty word. Yeah. What we'll, what we'll talk about when we do that. I don't think it's a dirty word, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some people do. Brokers hate it because brokers are like, oh, this, this guy doesn't have any money. He's just wholesaling. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's far from the truth. I yeah. got very deep pockets, but I also had very short arms. So... <laughs> I practice what I preach. Like in this that. Business. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I practice what I preach in this business. You know, um, I mean, it's a great return. I mean, if you can do that, if you're a deal finder, um, you know, yeah. and you find a good deal and you, you don't want to go and keep it for like uh, put half a million dollars, work with JV or your own money and stuff like that. And I mean, this is a much better return. You put your earnest money deposit, you find a deal on the other side and, you know, just sell it. Yeah, I got, I got three projects on the market right now. I actually started something called the Commercial Buyers Club. Yeah. And we have thousands of people on that platform. Yeah. Just because people kept reaching out to my office and saying, hey, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Yeah. And obviously, with the power of social media, you put a project out into the marketplace um, once you have it under contract. And it's like people, they come out of the woodwork. Everybody yeah. wants to be an investor. But again, everybody wants a deal. Yeah, exactly. And, and what, one of the metrics that we use is um, a standard formula that a lot of these lenders and investors and, and, and you know, um, even brokers use to evaluate property, which is the cap rate formula. Yeah. And the cap rate formula is actually a lot easier than one would think to understand. Um, and I'll just brief everyone on it real quick. It's, uh, it's your gross income. That's everything that the property makes, right? All the money that the property produces for all those tenants, regardless of the property type. Once you have that gross income, then what you do is you take your itemized expenses and they have to be just, justifiable expenses. You know, your Mercedes-Benz lease payment is not an expense, right? But when you have your taxes and your insurance and your utility bills and, mm -hmm. you know, your management expense, and then you factor in for CapEx, which I mentioned earlier, capital expenditure for future issues that may uh, arise from the property, like new roofs or new HVACs, heating, ventilation, air conditioning units. And then you put in a little vacancy factor. You actually have this itemized expenses, and that could total it like 25% of all your income or 30% or even in some cases up to 50% of your income are through itemized expenses. And once that happens, then what you're going to do is you're going to take the gross income, you're going to minus out the itemized expenses, that's going to leave your net income. A lot of people have heard of net operating income, NOI. The formula is actually real simple. It's the NOI divided by the purchase price, which equals the cap rate. So you know, if you took the NOI and then you divided it by whatever they're asking for the property, you're going to come up with either a double digit or a single digit number. Mm -hmm. And the double digits better for the buyer and the single digits better for when we sell. Yeah. 
because if you're buying it like out here in, in Malibu, California, where I'm located, they're trading property, I kid you not, at one, two, and three cap. No way. Yeah, oh. there's a property in Malibu right down the street from, wow. from my office on Canaan and PCH that's on the market right now on LoopNet, and I believe it's like a 1.7 cap. Wow. It's like, how do you, how can you buy I think they're at, even San Francisco, they're at three or four or something like that right now. Sure. Yeah. So, so here's the, it's in Malibu. Right. So what we do is we focus on buying at, at nine and 10 caps. Yeah. And if we find an eight cap, the fastest way to turn it into a 10 cap is just lower the, the ask price. Mm -hmm. And that just comes down to how you orchestrate that negotiation and justify what you're doing. Yeah. And why are we able to buy those so people don't have their BS detector going off, right? Yeah. The siren going off. We're able to buy those. You heard it? You heard my... Uh... <laughs> I thought, I thought I did. Well, I hear a truck backing up in front of the office. So, but well, that's, that's true. Why. I mean, I, yeah, I'm kind of kidding, but it's 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 hard to find right now. I mean, the uh, eight cap rate. I mean, that's what I when I bought my apartment building. I mean, yeah. they were they were in the eight cap rate, but that was like three two three years ago. Yeah, uh, you know, and they needed a lot of work, and which so that's kind of interesting. So you're you can still find deals right now above eight eight percent cap rate every day. Wow. Well, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> you got to get the book. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact is, you know, going out and looking on LoopNet at 8 cap, you're going to have a very tough time trying to find something that's on the open market because the brokers yeah. want to sell at very attractive caps because they, they only eat what they kill. So they got to sell at yeah. low caps because it affects their commission, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's really basic. Yeah. You know, you, you find the deals that, and, uh, you know, and if you do see something on on that eight or 10 cap, it's going to be on Performa, which stands for future value. Right. That's the the, the hope, the speculation, what it could be worth one day. Yeah. We're buying for clarity for everybody listening. We're buying on actual numbers. We're justifying the actual numbers and we're buying. We I have I just tied up a deal in Texas last week yeah. um, here in office, Matt. Matt Vincent, he's my acquisition team manager, and Matt located a property in Texas um, that was actually on market, and we were able to tie that property up, and it was like 9.8 cap. Wow. Yeah, it's a 50-unit big box yeah. um, storage, and I'd say there's about 900,000 in the deal. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. So that I mean... Okay. So that's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. So that's, uh, so they are out there uh, and yeah. you just need to find them. You give some pretty good criteria, but now let's say that you have someone that uh, an investor, they want to buy, they want to buy this, uh, this deal. They want to get involved. Yeah. Uh, you had some pretty good uh, ideas around like creative financing strategies for acquiring these, uh, these properties. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So part of what we do here in in my uh, in my in my firm is we identify property that has uh margaret can you grab the uh, charger for me so i can plug it over here part of what we do is we focus on properties and utilize certain strategies like seller financing yeah. is one. and people they they think they hear seller financing they're like why in the world would anybody ever seller finance me like yeah. you know again you know bs detector goes off and you know, the fact of the matter is, Eric, is if you have a property that's sitting at low occupancy, it's not going to qualify for bank financing, number one, mm -hmm. right? 
And if it's sitting at low occupancy, a lot of people don't want to buy on performance future value and pay that potential. They want to buy on the as is value, right? So there's two strikes against the the seller right there. Um, And then the third strike is the story, the reason on why they would ever sell. And we find when we hone in on on back to the human element of, of business and the psychology of business, we understand that if we can ask the right questions and we can justify what their needs and desires are, we can also back it up with the current financial situation that we're up against right now, meaning interest rate. Yeah. And banks, I talk to lenders all the time. Last time I had a discussion with the lender, which was a couple of weeks ago, they said, Terry, we'll loan you money, but it's going to be at a high interest rate. Yeah. Because interest rates are up. Yeah. And they said, we're only loaning money to people who don't need it. Yeah. I said, yeah. what a concept. <laughs> yeah. Concept. Why is that though? Because they don't want to put their risk in play. Yeah. So what will these people do? These banks will have you show two years tax returns, two years bank statements. They want your, your firstborn basically, meaning cross collateralization. They want to know all your other assets. They're going to look at your schedule E on your tax return and they're going to see everything else that you own. They want to make sure that your debt to income ratio is good. You don't have too much high credit usage. They want your personal guarantee. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do is on a non-recourse basis here yeah. in office. Every deal we do has no personal guarantee. So yeah. the credit never comes into play. We're never, we're never personally guaranteeing. We're never cross-collateralizing. Everything we do is entity structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use um, certain entities and in certain states that allow for something called anonymity. So we re- remain, re- remain anonymous on the entity and everyone is in its own business in a box. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So regardless of the property type, it's truly irrelevant. And, and we, we have um, deals that will we'll move forward and wholesale the paper right away, or we will never even close it. Yeah. If we are going to close a deal, it has to meet about the seven figure marker. Okay. Wholesale it. It's a hundred grand. If we're going to close it and go through the steps of contacting our business, you know, uh, entity uh, and develop that LLC and develop that relationship with, with a, a marketing and management company and do site visits and all that stuff. It's got to have a million bucks in it, or we're just not interested. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so normally for these deals, so about about seller financing. So I just want to touch on back on that. The first building I bought had seller financing, bought that a long time ago, yes. and um, I had no money. So that was I was 18 years old. I had no money, so I uh, I got like a credit union to give me the first like 80 uh, percent uh, yes. in first lien position. And then the uh, the owner, the seller, basically financed the rest uh, of that. So I had like no money down, and uh, the thing was cash flowing even after that. And it was, you know, it was not the prettiest building, but it was cash flowing, and uh, no money down. So so they do exist. I mean, they do have seller financing, and it's but you have to ask. This deal behind me, this is um, uh, sixty five units. There's. Uh... Uh, 16 fourplexes on eight and a half acres in Texas. And we did about a half a million dollar reno on this uh, multifamily. I'll tell you, I mean, I got this thing for a 29 year seller finance note. That's why it made it on the wall. Um, And some don't make it on the wall. So these ones over here didn't make it on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But if if the artwork makes it on the wall, then there's a story to be told. And um, this guy bought and sold notes. Uh, he was a broker slash investor himself. 
acting as a uh, investor in the transaction, full disclosure on that. And the guy was cool and he understood that he just was a really bad um, landlord and he was slumming it. And these people that lived here, they it was a poor quality of life because it was a C-class property that was run down. Yeah. So we, we went in there um, and we stabilized it yeah. at market occupancy, which was 95%. Um, there was millions of dollars to be made on it where, you know, this deal over here, um, here's my old CBS uh, condenser radio. Yeah. Uh, this deal over here is in your neck of the woods. This is actually a deal that I purchased and owned for nine months out in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Okay. And uh, I got this one on a seven-year seller finance note. It was uh, an assumable, transferable, non-recourse seller finance note. Wow. So created this uh, non-recourse seven-year note. It was at a. What was the loan to value on those on those notes? Um, there, there wasn't loan to value scenario because it was all seller finance. There was no bank involved. Yeah. And, um, and the value, um, we never disclose what our, what our true values are. Um, we do get sometimes appraisals. If we do, it'll be yeah. an MAI appraiser, uh, which stands for member appraisal Institute. Yeah. But on most of these deals, Eric, we don't bother getting, uh, an actual appraiser because, oh, yeah. No, because I, you, I have, you know the I value. Have, you know I have a finance background there. anyway. Yeah, we know the value. But what I meant is that what uh, what was the percentage of the seller notes, like on the the purchase price that you agreed to? Did that purchase price was that purchase price was four hundred eighty thousand was yeah. the purchase price, and we put down a hundred thousand. Okay. And the property was sitting. Every property's got a story. That property was sitting at um, about ninety percent physical occupancy. Mm -hmm. But the manager was putting money in his pocket. Yeah. And it was oh, creating at about 65% economic occupancy at the oh, time of the purchase. Wow. So I, I bought that property for 480. Nine months later, I sold it for 900,000. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's very good. The, the other thing, to, and when people are saying, well, you know, they, they, you can't find these seller financing deals, is because you're asking the wrong questions. And the discussion, if you, Keep the discussion around the price. That's all you're going to negotiate uh, is just going to be the price. There are other things you can talk about is trying to understand why they're selling the property. Are they trying to, you know, like the, the old man that uh, we bought the, uh, the, uh, the apartment building, for example, he wanted out uh, and uh, he wanted his money because he wanted all his money because he wanted to invest uh, somewhere else. And he had a, another property in mind. But sure. other people, other sellers, they're interested in, you know, they, they like the cash flow that they were getting with the, uh, the apartment buildings, but they didn't want to have all the headache and stuff like that. Well, what about if you, you lend me the money, you're going to get the I'm going to double your cash flow that you were making maybe or whatever and then i'm gonna take this property off your hands so how would you like that would you give a seller financing on something like that and i think a lot of the sellers they would they would potentially prefer that um they also afraid some of them are also afraid of selling the property um because they don't want to pay capital gains. So there's a right. possibility of kind of like doing a DST or doing other kinds of techniques so that right. they don't pay capital gains and that capital gain is spread over a long, longer period of time. Yeah, we do all kinds of creative things here in office for those strategies as well, Eric. And, um, you know, obviously being in this business for, you know, 25 years, I've pretty much seen and done it all. <laughs> and, uh, 
and and it's 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 the way that you you dress it up, you know, on the negotiation, um, just to give some additional uh, quality, uh, give back and content for your listeners. Yeah. One of the ways that we get these sellers also to do the seller financing is we play on the on the greed aspect of it, and people like money. Mm-hmm. And we we have to understand some things before we get into the deal. Um, and we need to know five things before we want to know anything else, which obviously is what's the ask price, like what's the best offer they turn down, what's the as is value. And we calculate that with that net operating income formula on yeah. the cap rate that I had mentioned. So we know what the true as is, remember the actual value, yeah. and then highest and best use on future value. Yeah. Then the loan amount, number four, which is really important to understand exactly where their payment is and when it balloons, because yeah. you have that intel before you can start negotiating anything. Yeah. And lastly is the repairs, because that does have a huge influence on your overall purchase price. Because if you're buying it for a million bucks, let's just say, um, and it has a quarter of a million dollars in repairs, you're not buying it for a million, you're buying it for 1.825. So that's just very simplistic way to give some quality give back to your listeners, just to let them know that not to do things prematurely, but, you know, just to be lucky. Mm-hmm. And and I don't say that lightly. I mean, uh, we're very lucky here. And yeah. to identify what luck is, um, people here lucky, they think of like, you know, lucky charms and rainbows and pots of gold. But what I'm saying luck is I'm saying to be present, yeah, the knowledge, and then to take that relentlessness for success, continuous action. And that really is the secret sauce behind every business model, yeah. understanding the scope of work, the timeline and the cost of doing business. And then understanding the knowledge base and understanding that that exercise of repetition, because you can't sit around and wait for deals to fall out of the sky because they never do. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you have to for your listeners, Eric, I promised them the book. So I wanted to just write this down here so they know um, all they have to do is send an email here. I'm huge on support. Yeah. Support at and then my name, which is Terry Hale. Okay. And if they need to Get in touch with me for anything. They can email support at terryhill.com. Excellent. I'm an accessible person. And what my main focus is now, Eric, is to, to transition my business model. I have my folks here in office working with me that are in the, my boutique firm here in Malibu. But obviously, I branched outward, noting that I only have 24 hours in a day as one individual here in my boutique firm in Malibu. Yeah. Obviously, the training and the whole methodology behind that is to educate people and then partner with those people. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for the latter part of 25 years. Yeah. And I put together eight different curriculums of training and some wonderful ways to get people educated very quickly and uh, and meet with them every week to nurture that relationship and to build a, a, that business in a box together. And then we share in the profits, which is great. So what I'm doing is duplicating myself with people yeah. that are um, coachable, trainable, and that have that again, relentlessness for success. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. So, yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, so if people want to reach out to you, support at terryhale.com. So send him an email and make sure that you get that book. Yeah. Uh, and uh, full of information. And I'm sure in there you have, if you have more questions about where to get the deal, you also mentioned about the uh, commercial buyers club. Also, so and the, all, any kind of information questions you might have, send it to support at terryhale.com and uh, they're going to be able to help you out. So, awesome. Terry, thank you very much for uh, joining yeah. me. Thank you for your knowledge and experience and sharing with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Eric.
Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.